Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. So if you guys still haven't finished your Christmas shopping, you're cutting it a little bit close, just gonna say. But never fear, there are always options. Thank God for the internet, right? I have a few different holiday gift guides up on my blog that have so many different options, so many different price ranges when it comes to holiday gift shopping. But one gift I think that everybody would love to receive would be some clear stem skincare. This is one of my all-time favorite skincare products, totally non-toxic, highly effective, great for both men and women. It is a lightweight serum that soaks in really easily on the skin. So you can easily incorporate this in with your other skincare products you already use. So you don't have to overhaul your whole skincare routine if you don't want to change other things. You just apply it to clean skin, let it soak in, and then you can apply other products on top. But Clear Stem is so amazing because it targets both acne in terms of preventing and healing active acne. It also helps to reverse, remove scarring and red marks, and it also helps to fight the signs of aging. So it's a highly effective anti-aging serum. So if you're interested in preventing against the signs of aging, if you're interested in preventing or eliminating acne and or any scars or red marks, if you want to improve the hydration in your skin or reduce the oil production naturally, then this product is definitely for you. And like I mentioned, it's great for men and women because it just soaks in. You can put other products on top. You can put makeup on top, moisturizer on top. If you're a guy, it'll just soak right in and no one will ever know there was anything on your face. I love this product because it's super hydrating, but like I mentioned, it does not make your skin oily. So I get concerned about that with any product that claims to hydrate because I have naturally oily skin and I don't want it to get even worse. And this has actually really helped to decrease the oil production in my skin, which is awesome. There are so many different benefits to this product. It helps to calm the skin down, calm any inflamed breakouts, reduce any redness and inflammation. It has antibacterial properties. You can use it after you get sunburnt to help get rid of that or any any cuts or scrapes. Actually, it helps to stimulate collagen production, great for any type of scarring, even if it's not on your face, but especially on the face. It helps to brighten out the skin, even the discoloration, 
block excess oil production and androgens. And all of the ingredients are completely non-toxic, safe, and highly effective. They have combined Eastern and Western science and medicine in this one to create a really, really effective skincare serum. This product includes ingredients like willow herb, their bioavailable collagen fibroblast stem cell formula, which is the magic. There is reishi mushroom, aloe vera, green tea leaf extract, pink grapefruit peel, frankincense, mountain pepper, turmeric, vitamin B5, all good ingredients. They chose these ingredients because there are no pore clogging ingredients in this product. A lot of products on the market, especially the ones labeled natural and organic, still have pore clogging ingredients. So you might still be struggling with acne or clogged pores because of that. Like a lot of these products that are heavy in coconut oil, Guys, just because something's labeled natural and organic, well, first of all, that doesn't mean it's natural and organic. Second of all, doesn't mean it's any good. But Clear Stem is real deal. So many of you have shared your testimonials with me, which I think is awesome. Everything from reversing scarring to getting rid of your acne. A lot of the women are saying that it has made their skin look even better than it looked when they were in their teens, even if they're older. So great for anti-aging. Get this for your mom. She'll love it. Totally cruelty-free. It's formulated without any parabens, petroleum, pesticides, silicones, carbon black, phthalates, sulfates, synthetic fragrances, none of that. And if you want to learn more about what pore clogging ingredients are, just go to clearstemskincare.com because they have a full list on there. So you can compare your current skincare and makeup products to that list in case you're still struggling with any active breakouts. But this product is going to help balance the hormones in the skin and the hair follicle. And it does this because it contains adaptogens that will help to ensure your skin maintains its stability even when you're throwing out all these different things at it including emotional stress at this time of year dang but a lot of women have reported that their monthly pms breakouts are visibly reduced when they use this product regularly any active acne and scabs will heal about three times faster and your dark spots are going to fade much faster thanks to those bioavailable collagen stem cells. So if you want to improve the look of your skin, make sure you check out clearstemskincare.com. This is a great gift to give basically anyone in your own life because everybody wants to prevent aging. Everybody wants to look younger. Everybody wants to prevent acne. People want to get rid of it when they have it. So this product out, clearstemskincare.com. You can use my discount code wellness. That will get you $15 off. Huge discount, so worth it. And like I mentioned, this is a great gift. If you can't get it to the person in time, then do what I do whenever I'm running late on presents and you just print out a photo of the item and you say, this is in the mail for you. People love it. And or... If you're getting holiday money from those extended family members who you only talk to once or twice a year, this is a great way to spend that well-earned cash. But seriously, worth every single penny. A little goes a long way. Like you just need a few drops of this to spread all over your face. My bottle has lasted me forever and it's highly effective. 
you will not regret it. So just go to clearstemskincare.com. My discount code wellness will get you $15 off. And if you try it, let me know what you think. Talking about gifts just makes me all excited. I love Christmas so much, as I'm sure you know, and I just love this whole holiday season. Not really about the gifts as much. Actually, I love giving gifts, but this year, not really as into it. I just love the movies and the holiday vibes, the music, everybody is more giving and everyone's happy and it's fun to see people that you haven't seen in a while. You're wrapping up an awesome year, starting a new one. Sky's the limit. Let's chat about this episode's guests, however, because I have two guests, which means just double the information, double the fun. This week, I am chatting with Jimmy Moore and Christine Moore, who recently came out with their book, Real Food Keto. If you do not know who Jimmy Moore is, then you need to crawl out from under your rock. Jimmy is the OG podcaster. You might have heard him on my old podcast, Straight Up Paleo. He was on that podcast on one awesome episode, but here he is again. He is the creator behind the very popular blog, Live and La Vida Low Carb, and the host of the longest running and top ranked iTunes health podcast, The Live and La Vida Low Carb Show. He also hosts Keto Talk, the Keto Hacking MD podcast, and the Nutritional Pearls podcast. He's also hosted other podcasts in the past as well. He is just the podcast master. He's been doing this for so long. He's interviewed over 1,500 of the world's top health experts and has basically just dedicated his life to helping people get quality health information. Not only is he the host of so many popular podcasts, but he is also the international best-selling author of Keto Clarity, the Ketogenic Cookbook, and the Complete Guide to Fasting. He also has other books, but those are just a few highlights. He's written so many books. I can't even keep up. Meanwhile, his wife, Christine Moore, is a nutritional therapy practitioner who specializes in real food-based, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic nutrition. She helps clients in her rebooting your nutrition business. She is also the co-host of the Nutritional Pearls podcast with her husband, Jimmy. These two are some of the sweetest, most genuine people I've ever met. They just have hearts of gold. And I was really excited to have them on to talk about Real Food Keto because it is really an amazing book. And the reason why they created this book, which they'll get into, is because they kind of wanted to bring the real food approach to the ketogenic space because it's something that has been missing. So this book covers a lot of in-depth health topics that aren't just related to keto specifically. They're just about health and nutrition in general because that's what Christine learned as an NTP. It's what I learned as an NTP and they're bringing that into this book. In this book, they go in depth about digestion, detoxification, vitamins and minerals, hormone balancing, blood sugar regulation, all of the things which I love. And I'm not joking when I tell you this book is basically the NTA in a book. Like if you've ever wondered what the NTP program is like, then you should just buy this book. (laughs) They cover all of the foundations of health in this book and whether or not you're keto, it has a ton of helpful information. So while they do 
obviously address how to follow the ketogenic diet and lifestyle coming from a real food approach rather than how we see a lot of people doing keto but they're they're not emphasizing food quality micronutrients all the things anyways they're talking about that but that's just part of the book the bulk of the book is honestly just like quality information about digestion detox nutrient density blood sugar balancing all of that and then there are a ton of delicious recipes with recipes from maria emmerich which if you don't know maria emmerich she is the keto cooking queen she has so many amazing keto recipes and keto cookbooks out so it's a really awesome book and i think whether or not you're interested in keto this is a really good book to have on your shelf if you are interested in health and nutrition you can really apply these principles to any macronutrient ratio or dietary approach. So this is great if you are interested in the ketogenic diet because it'll teach you how to do it the correct way, but also even if you're not and you just want to learn about health and nutrition and learn about topics that we covered in the NTA. So I'm really excited about this book. Super excited to chat with Jamie and Christine. We get real nerdy in this podcast and I think you guys are really going to love it. You might want to take notes because there are a lot of facts and recommendations to take notes on. It's like being in a fun nutrition class. We did have a slight issue with the audio. So if it sounds a little funky in places, sorry, it was the recording, but it, you can understand everything. It evens out. Um, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It all worked out, but it's still an awesome interview. I, I really loved nerding out in this one. So all you nutrition nerds, you're going to love it too. So that all being said, let's hop into this chat with Jimmy and Christine Moore. How about you guys start off by kind of introducing yourself? Just, I mean, it's hard to imagine anyone wouldn't know you two, but I would love it if you could introduce yourselves. Jimmy, you can start. So my name's Jimmy Moore. I am the international best-selling author of Keto Clarity, the Ketogenic Cookbook, the Complete Guide to Fasting. I've written eight books now, Christina. So uh, pretty darn busy. But I'm the guy behind Living La Vida Low Carb, which has been out there as a blog since 2005, a podcast since 2006. I do a bunch of podcasts as well. Uh, I was a guy that used to weigh 400 plus pounds and got healthy, switching over to a ketogenic approach to uh, nutrition. So that's my story in a nutshell. Christine? So I'm Christine Moore. I'm the wife of Jimmy Moore. I am a uh, recently graduated nutritional therapy practitioner. Oh, you're an old nutritional therapy practitioner now. <laughs> oh, well, I guess. Recently I graduated would have been like a year ago. Well, it was a year ago. Well, what I'm saying is a year ago, you were recently graduated. Now you're a seasoned veteran NTP. <laughs> True. Okay. Tell her, Christina. <laughs> yeah, I know he's right. I'm I'm a newbie. Oh, well, welcome me. to the tribe. <laughs> Thank you. I love the tribe. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's a good family. But I, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. I have a website, rebootingyournutrition.com. I've been seeing a couple of clients um, via phone, I do, I do want to eventually see him in person, but we've been in book writing mode and then I had a shoulder surgery. So, uh, haven't really gotten hot and heavy into seeing clients yet, but that's kind of what I'm doing. And she will in 2019. <laughs> yep. 
Yep, and then Jimmy and I are both the authors of the book we're going to talk about today, Real Food Keto. Which has this awesome NTP in there named Christina Rice. I know, I'm so excited. I'm in the Is that protein. cool to see your picture in I'm there? In the, yeah, nice it's load. amazing. I'm in the protein section, everybody, so make sure you um, <laughs> pick it up and I can sign it. <laughs> That's right. No, but okay, so you guys sent me over this book, Um and I am so impressed with it. It is, I mean, there's a lot, of, there are a lot of keto books out there. Jimmy, you've written some great keto books as well. But this one has my heart because you know I love my real food. Um, and I think that this is something that the space has needed for a really long time. So could you maybe share like why you wanted to put this book out, Real Food Keto? So because I've written so many keto books, there is this notion out there well, all of them say the same thing, and nobody's really putting the focus on some of the most important aspects of health. And so as Christine was going through the NTA program last year, I'm sitting her, you know, there listening to her talk about cholecystokinin and prostaglandin and duodenum and all of these words I'd never heard of before. I had to like actually pull out a dictionary in my phone and figure out what she's talking about. Uh, but I was listening to that, Christina, and I was like, man – this is good stuff. Why doesn't the keto community talk about it? And so when she graduated, I said, hey, let's let's do a book that kind of combines the best qualities of a real foods based diet, which I have been into since the paleo world. I got deep in uh, into that back in 2011, I believe is when I got on paleo. So I, I've been eating real food, low carb for a little while. And so it just seemed to make sense that with all the focus on uh, keto right now, why don't we kind of combine the best of both worlds of real food and keto along with the principles of the Nutritional Therapy Association into a book? And so that's that's kind of the genesis. You got anything to add, Chris? Uh, no, you pretty much said it all. That, that, that it's just we wanted to get these principles out there because so many people are still struggling with either health issues or, or weight stalls or you know they can't lose. And so some of the things that we talk about in the book are hopefully going to be things that they can look at that they haven't considered yet. They just didn't know about it. So I'm, I'm hoping that these principles in here can kind of give them some hope that maybe they can figure things out. Yeah, you know what I really love about this book is whether or not somebody is going to follow a ketogenic lifestyle, there's so much nutri like nutrition and general health information that everybody needs to understand, like going through the basics of blood sugar balancing and digestion. And you guys really dive deep into it. And it's almost like a preview of the NTA, truly. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you caught us. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> we wanted it to be this, you know what, if you're interested in nutritional therapy, read our book because yeah. yes, it has keto in the title. And a lot of people have not gotten it yet because they've said, well, I understand keto. I bet you bottom dollar, you don't know a, a lot of the information that we put in here mm -hmm. unless you've gone through the program. And I, I see it as a tool for people like you, Christina, that you could hand this to a client and say, okay, read this. And as I work with you, some of this stuff will make a lot more sense with the context of what you learn in this book. So we're hoping NTPs and embrace it and see it as that valuable resource with their clients. Yeah. And I think even just for listeners, if you need to work with, if you think you have a health issue and need to work with somebody, I would read this book and implement like 
you know, even if you don't want to go keto yet, like just the basics of digestion and like blood sugar balancing, hormone regulation, all of that, implement all of that information for yourself. And you could be starting at a totally different place. Like you could heal so many of your own issues just by reading that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what we wanted. We wanted people, like Jimmy said, who aren't necessarily interested in keto, but real food, um, they still have digestive problems. They still have blood sugar problems so uh, and endocrine problems. So this book applies to them too. Yeah. And okay, let's talk about real food keto because I there's this, I mean, you know, dirty keto, like there's dirty keto and people are eating processed foods and lazy keto, yeah, yeah. lazy keto. Um, and maybe you can explain why would you do real food keto rather than do it the other way and just fit your macros. This is one of the reasons why we wanted to write this book is I felt like there was this notion that, well, just keep your macros in order, just keep your carbs down, keep your fat high. And I've even talked to several medical doctors on some of my other podcasts about this that use keto and some of them have this notion of, well, let me just get the patient off of carbohydrates. And if that means they go to McDonald's and throw away the bun and eat whatever processed crap version of meat that's on that burger, then that's okay as long as they keep the macros down. And I'm going, you know what? You're missing so many elements there and the patient just obediently follows what the doctor says. So if the doctor instead says, okay, As a transitionary thing, you can possibly do that for a while, but the goal is to try to choose the best quality foods that you possibly can, and that's what we tried to articulate in Real Food Keto. Here's some of the micronutrition that you get in grass-fed beef, for example, that you won't get in a McDonald's hamburger uh, without the bun. So, uh, you know, those kinds of things, they just frustrate me, Christina, and they have for many years now. So this book has been many years in the making in my head. Yeah, I yeah. know. I get frustrated as well, too, because people will say, oh, I tried tried this, I tried that. And I'm like, well, what version did you try? Because there's a right and a wrong way to do every, quote, diet. Um, and with keto, it's like if you're eating high fat, low carb, and you're still pounding your body with processed foods, you're still not going to feel very well. <laughs> yep, yep. One of the things that we wanted to get across, you know, to expand on what Jimmy said, we understand that people are in different places. They can't necessarily afford grass-fed beef, grass-finished beef, that sort of thing. I mean, like Jimmy said, the goal is to get there, but make the best choices that you can for the situation that you're in. And don't listen to these people online that are saying, well, you must do 100% grass-fed, grass-finished all the time, or you're not doing the diet right. Well, no, that's, that's not... That's not the case. Yes, we want to emphasize real food, but we also realize that there's real life out there that happens. And Jimmy and I even use some products that, you know, especially when we're traveling. So, but we just make sure that we read the label and make sure that they're doing things the right way. And um, yeah, we understand that there are certain situations where that might be necessary. Yeah, I think there are basically steps to any lifestyle change and big health changes we're making. I'm curious if you're talking to somebody who is really just eating standard American diet and they wanted to eventually get to like a real food keto lifestyle, would you recommend them go keto first and just focus on the macros or go paleo first? Yeah, I think both are important. 
But if you're going to get people to start, stop craving and stop having hunger between meals and, and, you know, all of the things that we know a ketogenic diet helps with, I think keto is the first and foremost because you start getting the benefits even before you optimize the food quality, you're going to get the benefits. Now, obviously, once they kind of get the buy-in factor with getting the macros right, then they start adding in the real food aspect. And that's what we found, Christine, was when we started eating more real food low-carb back in 2011 when I went paleo low-carb. Um, that was when things really started to improve. And you find that the micronutrition helps with hunger and cravings. And and you just feel better when you're eating those better quality foods. Yeah. Can you explain more to people about what you mean by micronutrients? So micronutrients are those things that are composed of uh, minerals, vitamins, and accessory nutrients. And those are the things that are contained in food. And our body breaks down the food. The food goes into the digestive system, the small intestine. That's where these nutrients are sent in through the bloodstream. These micronutrients are what ne are needed for every function of the body. I mean, calcium is the most abundant mineral in the body. It's a, an electrolyte. It's one of the electrolytes. Uh, magnesium, potassium, uh, sodium, and chloride are the other electrolytes. This is needed for nerve um, communication. Our cells need to communicate with each other. So these electrolytes are needed for that. Uh, calcium is needed along with uh, vitamin D, you know, through the parathyroid to help with bone remodeling. And this helps to maintain our blood pH. The pH of our blood has to stay within a very narrow range, 7.35 to 7.45. And this bone remodeling um, needs these micronutrients. Detoxification, our detoxification pathways need certain micronutrients. Um, so every aspect of the body needs these nutrients to help our bodies function at its best. Yeah, and so people, where are they getting these micronutrients from? Well, hopefully they're getting them from food, mm -hmm. real whole food. Well, a lot of people take synthetic yeah. vitamins and or the food companies, they fortify like the so-called healthy whole grains. People are like, oh, grains, you need that for the vitamins and minerals. I'm like, you realize they have to add that because there's no naturally forming micronutrition actually mm -hmm. in whole grains, right? <laughs> you realize that, right? And people don't. Yeah. What, I'm curious, what do you see most, like, do you notice that there's something that people are most commonly deficient in, in terms of like vitamins or minerals? Yeah, there's several. Um, one of them would be the electrolytes, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you first go keto, your, your glycogen stores are stored in your muscle. And so when you're dumping a lot of those things, the muscle has water in it too. So you're dumping all of this, this causes an electrolyte imbalance. So that's oftentimes why we tell people when they're starting on a ketogenic diet to make sure that they're getting enough sodium, enough electrolytes. Another one I think would be calcium because a lot of people are drinking um, carbonated beverages. The carbonated beverages have phosphoric acid in it, which it impairs the body's ability to absorb and use calcium. So you can have osteoporosis, but at the same time have bone spurs or calcium buildup in your arteries because the calcium just doesn't know where to go. And along with calcium, you need K2 and D. Those all work together to kind of help tell calcium where to go. Selenium is another one. You don't need a lot of selenium every day. You can just eat two Brazil nuts and you'll get your 
daily allowance of selenium that you need. Iodine is another one. So many people have thyroid issues, uh, myself included. I have Hashimoto's. One of the things that I caution my clients, though, if I do find out that they have an autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's, it's recommended that you don't supplement with iodine because it could make things worse. Um, if you're going to supplement with it, just make sure you're working with somebody, your doctor or whomever that can kind of monitor how your condition is doing. Uh, and probably the next one would be your fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. A lot of people are eating a low fat diet. Well, you can't absorb those fat soluble vitamins if you're eating a low fat diet. Did you mention zinc? From the zinc. stomach acid perspective? Yeah, I was, yeah, zinc is another one because um, zinc is good for your immune system, wound healing, uh, stomach acid production. And 90% of the population is actually deficient in stomach acid. So um, B6 and zinc are necessary for that. So, yeah, zinc is another big deficiency, I think. If you missed that statistic, she said 90, as in 9-0, as in 9 out of 10 of you listening right now. That was shocking to me, Christina, when I learned that. Did it you? Yeah, well, you know, that I'm really glad you guys brought that one up because that one's a little near and dear to my heart because, you know, I was on this interesting health journey for the past few years and for the first few years, you know, seeing so many doctors and specialists and a lot of gut healing and uh, all these different protocols and I thought I had everything in check because, you know, the best of the best doctors are telling me what to do, functional medicine doctors and TPs as well. And it wasn't until I started like diving in to my own education that I realized no one's ever given me zinc. And it was like, that mm. was like the last, like the missing piece of the puzzle. Like I was on HCL. Wow. I did like leaky gut protocol. I, you know, I was treated for SIBO candida and no one had ever given me zinc. And I was like, are you serious? So for anyone out there listening, if you have been on a gut healing journey and you've never been supplemented with zinc, um, I would check into that. I would check into that one. Um, and it's very easy to do. Yeah, it's and super easy. That liquid thing that you uh, have people taste, what, was it sweet to you the first time you did it? You were so deficient? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just tasted Candy. like water for me. <laughs> yeah, water for me too. Okay, yeah. yeah. Now it's now it's like water. But yeah, you can do a little zinc test and swish some aqueous zinc around in your mouth and see how it how it tastes for people at home. But I would also like to go through a few of the other ones you mentioned. So like, let's go back to electrolytes for a second. Um, you know, people are still really afraid of salt. Um, and I would love, We're not. yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk more about that. Like how do people know how much salt to eat? Well, here's the thing with salt. A lot of people are told by their doctors to, you know, lower their salt intake. Well, in reality, there's only a small, portion of the population that has a salt sensitivity. And so for those that are not salt sensitive, let's just say they have normal blood pressure of 120 over 80. It would take you eating 7.5 grams of salt to raise your blood blood pressure by five or six points. And that's still considered normal range. And that's a lot of salt. I'm getting thirsty just <laughs> thinking about that much salt. That's a lot of salt. So you, you, there, salt is necessary and you shouldn't stay away from it unless you know that you have a certain medical condition that warrants it, uh, salt sensitivity. Well, and when you're ketogenic, you actually dump salt. So if you are doing the keto part of our book, then make sure you're adequately replenishing with salt. Uh, I know that uh, Bullock and Finney talk about, there are two researchers in keto, that you need to get about four to five uh, a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Grams? Is that grams? Uh, forget the unit, but it's four to five, and people are usually under one, well under one. That's probably grams. Yeah, probably grams. Um, yeah, that was definitely a big mistake I made when I first you know, transitioned. I was having all these weird symptoms. I was feeling nauseous. My legs were swollen, um, and I... I wasn't using any salt. And then as soon as I, I was getting really bad leg cramps, like muscle cramps. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. As soon as I added in the salt. And then the other thing is, I mean, I find so many people like, especially if you're going keto, um, to help with your adrenals, like when your yes. adrenal function is low, like salt it up. <laughs> yeah. You're going to, that's one thing that I have struggled with. My adrenal, um, glands are just worn out and I crave, crave, crave salty mm-hmm. stuff and I can't get enough salt. And so the adrenal glands produce aldosterone, which kind of regulates how much s- sodium is dumped from the body through the urine. And so if your adrenal glands are tired, you're not going to be producing that aldosterone, which kind of controls all of that. Yes, definitely. And I think, I guess we should clarify, we're talking about high quality, like Celtic sea salt, pink Himalayan yes. salt, not your know, Morton salt from the store. Yeah, we, yeah. please stay away from the little girl with the umbrella in the rain. On yeah. the, that's not salt. Uh, pink Himalayan <laughs> sea salt, you can actually get at Costco now, like this really big tub of it for like 10 bucks. So come on. Oh, yeah. Awesome. No, I could, salt is like my main food group at this point, I swear. Mm-hmm. It's so we- good. <laughs> It is. And we've learned that there are different color sea salts out there. And each one of those has a different abundance of specific minerals in there. So the the more color, the better. <laughs> and if you start incorporating fasting into your routine, salt is like your lifeblood along with water during a fasting protocol. Well, okay, that's good to know, because I'm sure people made that mistake many times. Um, oh, yeah. Let's, let's talk a bit about calcium for a second. Um, because this is a popular one. People are like, well, where do I get my calcium? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so calcium, as I, I think I said on here, is the most abundant mineral in the body. And you can get a lot of that from your uh, leafy greens. Um, eggs has it in there. Um, well, and talk about the vitamin K2 and D connection to calcium because this is important. Well, yeah. So it's not just calcium that you need to focus on because, as I said before, that if you're just taking calcium, then you it may not know where to go in the body. So um, you need the vitamin D and the K2. And, and definitely the K2 is in the green leafy vegetables, and you can get that through your eggs as well your grass-fed meat, especially your organ meats. And so taking, making sure you get, there's a vitamin D and K2 supplement that you can get. They've, now that they're realizing that these two things work together, you need to make sure that you find a supplement that contains both of those. And it just makes it easier. That way you don't have to worry about, um, taken a a separate k2d and then calcium so Mm -hmm. um let's see i'm trying to well i'm glad you brought that up because that's another really common one i find with clients like everyone's on a vitamin d but not a k2 and i'm like you need to be on a dk2 because you're just wasting your time (laughs) Um, and they do them uh, combined now so it's very convenient to be able to find it all in one in one pill yeah Yeah. definitely so here's um some sources of calcium 
uh, to get Talk back to, to sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of leaning over one place. Um, so sources of calcium would be um, cheese as well. Don't forget about your your um, dairy. Yeah, you know, well, let's... especially full fat, grass fed. You know, that's raw. Okay. Especially. I wanted to talk about dairy for a second because just for the audience to know like what your stance is on dairy as a part of a real food keto approach. Right. That's going to vary from person to person. Stay away from American cheese. That's not cheese. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? No one knows. Uh, we don't know what plastic. <laughs> you, you might as well eat the, the plastic wrapper it came in because that's about what it is. I yeah. agree. So – when I was working with a functional medicine doctor, he ran my, he helped me with some of my adrenal issues and he put me on a, an autoimmune protocol and that of course, you know, does not allow dairy. So I found that for me at that point, dairy caused some psoriasis outbreaks on the back of my scalp. And then it also raised my blood sugar. So I learned once I cut out the dairy, my blood sugar lowered and those psoriasis outbreaks um, slowed down. Once I had my hysterectomy, um, those psoriasis outbreaks completely stopped. And now I can have a little bit of dairy in there, but I know my limits. If I go over that limit, then I start to have problems. But the types of dairy that I use are always full fat and we have access to raw dairy she loves her heavy whipping cream, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So uh, I, I make sure that if I do have it, that I'm doing it in the small amounts. Most of the times it's going to be in a recipe where, you know, you're not going to be consuming that much anyway because it's all for the entire recipe. So I, I make sure that I just do that and make sure that it's the best quality. Even goat's milk over raw cow's milk I do better with, but I can still tolerate raw cow's milk on occasion. <laughs> so so it's it's a highly individualized thing. So you have to test and see how you do with it. Yeah, definitely. I think that is one thing that I commonly find if someone is they think that they're doing everything right and they don't know why they're stalling or not reaching it, like I would say reaching their goals like the dairy might be causing inflammation in certain people if you're more susceptible. Um yeah. That's a common one, I think. That's just, like you said, it's so dependent on the person. Um, right. But, okay, well, we talked a little about micros. Let's move on to macros because mm -hmm. I think that's what people are really obsessed with right now, even though they should be obsessed with the micros. Right. Um, <laughs> but I agree. macros, okay. So tell me, define for me what a ketogenic diet is. Let's hear it. Okay, so ketogenic diet is a diet that is low in carbohydrate, moderate in protein, and high in fat. It's not a high-protein, high-fat diet. <laughs> okay. There's no such thing as net carbs. Yes. <laughs> okay, explain more about that. Let's start with, um, let's start with why it's not a high-protein, high-fat diet. Well, protein for some people can raise their blood sugar. And through through gluconeogenesis. And so you just have to, this is another highly individualized thing. And so this is why, I, there are several reasons why I believe that a high protein diet is not good. And it's one of the reasons is not talked about a lot is the digestive digestion aspect of it. But for now, the, the protein can can raise the blood sugar. And if you have 
what's called glucagon resistance, like we suspect Jimmy does, your you eat a lot of protein, it raises your blood sugar, and then your insulin kicks in to drop the sugar, but yet your glucagon is not sufficient enough to raise the blood sugar back up. So you deal with hypos and dizziness. And yeah, so Christina, I did a one week high protein experiment earlier this year. I remember. Yeah, so three grams of protein for every one gram of fat, just to see and test this whole theory about high protein. Um, and while I stayed ketogenic in the in the sense that I got ketones on the meter, I ran into 15 bouts of hypoglycemia in seven days. Wow. That ain't good. Yeah. Maybe for the audience, can you explain like what symptoms of hypoglycemia are if they haven't oh experienced my gosh, that? Yeah. It's I was hungry. <laughs> Literally, like one hour after eating, I was starving. I was shaky. I was fatigued. I was irritable. I mean, you think you you think about how desperate you were when you were a carb eater and how hangry you were when you needed to eat. That's kind of where I was, and it was just kind of that desperation of oh my gosh, uh, I felt flush uh, all over my body. It was just like. I kind of know what Christine's going through with the hot flashes that she has at least a little bit. Um, It was not pretty. And I I got through that seven days because I was doing an official experiment. Otherwise, most medical doctors said I would have taken you off of that in two days if you were experiencing that kind of that kind of pain. Yeah, well, that also is extremely high protein. You know, Um, I am wondering like what you consider to be high protein, like for the average person slash moderate protein, like what does that really mean? Because people throw these terms around all the time, moderate protein, high fat, but like, what does that mean? Because I think it means different things to different people. I think unfortunately, because of the bio-individuality of all of us, you can't really say, well, it's a certain percentage or a certain number of grams of protein. I think it's just going to vary from person to person. I will say this, as an insulin-resistant man and other people with insulin resistance, which is a whole lot of people listening right now, you know, those are the people that need to moderate it down a little more, mm-hmm. probably not more than 20% of your calories. Now, if you're an athlete and you're uh, bodybuilding and you're feeling really good and 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 you're healthy in all your health markers, maybe you could push it to 25 to 30%. I don't think very many people need to go above 30% of their total calories from protein, especially if your goal is uh, ketogenesis. You want to be able to keep the carbs low and moderate it to that specific level that's right for you. And then the rest of your calories come from fat eaten to satiety. Okay. And going off the, the fat, you know, this is a popular argument in the keto space right now. People, Some people say, you know, you need to be like eat more fat, right? And others are saying, let your body fat be the fat that is being like used. Um, what, what camp are you in? So I believe that we should listen to our bodies. Our bodies are very good about telling us when it's had enough fat. Mm -hmm. So you definitely need the fat in your diet for several reasons to keep bile flowing um, I did a low-fat diet in my 20s, and that's the reason why I had to have my gallbladder taken out in my 30s. Uh, just the the stimulation of the bile wasn't happening, and so it became thick and sludgy and just, you know, messed up my gallbladder. So that that's one reason. Fat, um, it, it's just you need you need the fat for so many reasons, but yet if you go over a certain amount, again, your body's very good about 
you know, regulating your calories. That's what's really good about the ketogenic diet. It regulates the calories so it keeps you satiated so you naturally um, naturally get what you need. And we're not talking about eating sticks of butter and things like this. Just what it would look like for us is a, a protein with some some sort of fat on top of that, like a sauce or even a slab of butter, and then vegetables, a non-starchy veggie uh, with a salad, and then the, the non-starchy veggie would have some butter or another fat on top of it, and that's what it looks like. And the like. salad with avocado oil or olive oil or yeah. some mix thereof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the key here is listening to your body because this whole notion of low-carb, high-fat people that don't understand what we're talking about just think we're all mainlining fat 24-7 and they're not understanding high fat as a percentage of the total calories. And because fat is so dense in calories, not that I think calories matter, but it's so dense in nutrition, I should say, um, that you're going to get high fat pretty easily without having to add uh, obsessively exogenous sources of dietary fat. Jimmy, can you talk a bit more about what you just said, how you mentioned you don't think calories matter necessarily? Yeah, I think we we obsess about the calorie thing. And the the way I kind of dispel that one really fast is, okay, if calories are all that it's about, let's do an experiment. Go and get 1,500 calories worth of steak, vegetables, and some healthy fat, butter, avocado, something. So eat that, test your blood sugar, test all your cardiometabolic markers and see how you do. Then I want you to do a separate experiment also 1,500 calories, and all you eat is Little Debbie snack cakes. (laughs) Now, which one do you think is going to have the greater impact on your health negatively? Anybody with a brain is going to say it's the second experiment. And yet, under the calorie hypothesis, those two meals are exactly the same. It's why these stupid uh, 100-calorie packs are the dumbest invention they've ever come up with. Or 100-calorie Coca-Cola. I remember when those little cans or the little bottles first came out. I'm like, 100 ca- – ugh. <laughs> come on, people. Our bodies are not uh, bomb calimeters. They are hormonal, uh, hormonally impacted. So you've got to look at the hormonal effect. It's one reason in Real Food Keto we hammered the endocrine system because there's so many like chain reactions that happen in our hormones. When you pay attention to calories, the hormonal effect is totally taken out of the equation. Mm -hmm. I know especially, you know, I work a lot with women um, and for our our reproductive system, like if you're not getting, a lot of people are so deficient in healthy fats and they don't realize like that's the number one thing when I'm like, if you want to balance your hormones, you need to have healthy fats. Yep. You need healthy fats and regulated blood sugar. Talk about that one client you have that it just, she just won't raise her calories. <laughs> I, I bless her heart. That's, that's, uh, we in the South, that's when we, when we feel sorry for somebody, we say bless it. Uh. So she, she, um, has been, she's heard the calorie thing for so long that it's ingrained in her and the fat thing as well. So she, her calorie intake from day to day could be 800 to 1,000 calories, and that's it. And she's doing a ketogenic diet, but she's only having 800 to 1,000 calories. She's doing more harm to her metabolism by only having, I'd rather her just completely fast Mm -hmm. uh, than eat that uh, few calories because she's really, she's doing her, she's had some major health challenges, so I, I understand that it's difficult for her, but 
trying to get her to understand that it's okay to eat more calories, it's practically impossible for me to do that with her. Well, and this is a problem in the keto community, too, is some people, they go keto, Christina, and they're so satiated, perhaps for the first time in their life, that they end up under eating. So it is a real and present danger for clients that you deal with, Christina deals with. um, You know, these are things that people are dealing with. Oh, my gosh, am I supposed to eat if I'm not hungry? Well, technically, no, but you don't want to under eat either. So uh, and also there's this notion Christine has brought up about how uh, maybe they're feeling satiety, quote unquote. Tell that story about why they might feel satiety and it has nothing to do with satiation. Yeah. So if you are doing especially well, any diet, but a ketogenic diet, you um, can feel satiated or full bloated or or whatever and that's not because of necessarily the diet you could have digestive issues uh, especially insufficient stomach acid so the food will sit in the stomach longer than it's supposed to making you feel full longer so there's really it's a it's tricky trying to when you're first starting out especially to know the difference between the um the two true satiation and the other one you'll have other symptoms like bloating um gas things like that. And what's your body doing to those macronutrients when it just sits there? So the the fats uh, go rancid, the carbs ferment, and the proteins putrefy, and those move down into the intestinal tract and cause irritation, which can lead to autoimmune conditions. Yeah, and lots of different types of gut dysbiosis, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, for I mean, I think the the gut health issues are a big issue now. I'm seeing with so many people have gut issues, and you, you can't let things be sitting around. You got to support that stomach acid. Um, but yep. yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the calorie issue because I think that's a big mistake. I see a lot of people making. They're coming mm-hmm. to me, and you know they went they went keto, and then they're not hungry, and they just slash their calories in half. And then they like downregulate their metabolism so much. And then, you know, over time, I see a lot of people saying that keto didn't work and it did X, Y, and Z. But I'm like, was it keto or was it that you just went so low calorie? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because you will slow your metabolism if you um, eat too few calories. And that's what I'm trying to get across to this one client that she's actually doing more harm to her metabolism. It's slowing it down even more, which is going to make it that much harder to lose weight. Yeah. I think, you know, it's so hard because you live in a society where it was kind of hammered in our heads, like calories, like fat is bad. Um, but eat less, move more. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think it really does help to learn, the science behind what's going on in your your body actually because then when you can start approaching it from a state of health you understand more how so much of that is bs yeah um, but i also want to talk a bit more about um you know like bile liver gallbladder christine you would be a great person to talk to about this because this is a common question can someone do keto if they don't have a gallbladder like what what changes what adjustments would they make Sure. I don't have a gallbladder. Um, I had mine taken out in 2006. And back then I wasn't supplementing like I should. I didn't know about supplementation until I went through the nutritional therapy practitioner program. So what I do now, uh, since I don't have a gallbladder, I take digestive enzymes and bile salts with each meal to help me break down those fats. Your body... The, the gallbladder is the storage unit for bile. The liver is what produces the bile. So the signal of cholecystokinin is still sent 
to the liver. It, it used to, when you had a gallbladder, it was sent to the gallbladder to release the bile that was in, in the gallbladder. But now that signal is sent to the liver. The process may take a little bit longer, so that's why it's always good to um, supplement with the digestive enzymes and bile salts. And even the HCL supplementation, the hydrochloric acid supplementation, but be very careful with that. I found out the hard way myself. I had some unknown stomach issues still that, that were trying to heal, and I started with the HCL supplementation, and my stomach hurt for four days. So. Mm-hmm. When you take that stuff, make sure you're working with somebody that can help you with it because it can actually um, do you harm. But there are certain foods also that you can take that help with bile um, production. And that would be these are things that would help keep the bile flowing and and not to get thick. So um, a, a big thing is beet juice or beets. If you're doing a ketogenic diet, you we kind of shy away from those things, but the amount that you need is not a lot. And so it's not really that bad. So I think there's an, uh, there's a recipe online for a low carb beet kvass, which is a beet juice um, drink mm-hmm. that you can take. And then some other things, some, warm lemon water with your meal i do that and and some people say even when you wake up drink some uh, warm lemon water that kind of gets things moving Um, radishes um, celery certain teas like dandelion um, tea uh, peppermint tea but be careful with peppermint tea because it can be a diuretic so um, that's a whole another topic (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, so there there are certain foods that you can do that kind of help with bile too. So just because you've had your gallbladder out doesn't mean that you can't do it. It took me a year before I started, before my liver kind of finally figured out, oh, okay, well, she's eating this much fat. This is how much I need to, to squirt out, you know, each time. Mm-hmm. So it, it does take a while. Be patient with yourself. And if you're first starting out, we need a healthy mix of fats, all you know, monounsaturated, saturated, and polyunsaturated. If you're just starting out without a gallbladder, I would stick with butter and coconut oil because they don't need bile to break them down. And then just have little amounts of the monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats and then slowly add in more of the saturated fats, monounsaturated fats, and polyunsaturated fats that need the bile. Your body will, will learn. Yeah, and I also want to talk about, I mean, kind of just circling back on the issue with low-fat diets and how this impacts um, prostaglandin function and just like regulating the inflammation response in our body. Could you explain more about um, the negative effects of going too low in fat in terms of prostaglandins? Yeah, so your fats, different fats, um, like your omega-3s, omega-6s, and saturated fats form um, what what are called prostaglandins. There's three groups of them. You have your prostaglandin ones, which are formed from your um, omega sixes. You have your prostaglandin twos, which are formed from saturated fats, and your prostaglandin threes, which are formed from omega threes. So your one and three prostaglandins are anti-inflammatory in nature, and your prostaglandin twos are inflammatory in nature. But we need that in- inflammation before we can heal. So if somebody is having, let's just say all saturated fat in their diet, that could be a problem because you're not getting enough of the uh, omega-6s and omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory in nature. So these things help regulate the immune system 
and just general inflammation in the body. So that's why we like to see a person have a healthy mix of all of these fats. Yes, and I think that's a good... It's important to talk about the inflammation response in the body because I think everybody just thinks inflammation bad, but like we yes. need we need to have an inflammatory response. <laughs> yeah, so what's going on there is that if you have a cut or something, you see that it gets red and inflamed. Well, that's the body inflaming so the immune system can get to that site of cut or uh, wound to um, prevent any bad bacteria from getting in and to, to start healing the process. So it clears the way so the immune system, the white blood cells can get there faster. Yes, exactly. And then speaking of things that people think are bad that maybe aren't, let's talk about cholesterol for a second. Um, Jimmy, you're the king of cholesterol clarity. Uh, could you talk a bit more about the truth about cholesterol and, you know, people are really afraid to eat fat because they think they're going to raise their cholesterol. Like what's going on with the cholesterol? Yeah, the best way to uh, distill this down, and I, I do a show on Instagram called Jimmy Rants. And so I've ranted about this one the other day because people still worry about their cholesterol. And I wrote that cholesterol clarity book. Uh, what is it now? Almost six years ago now. And people still worry about it. So here's what you need to know. Triglycerides and HDL are the most important numbers on that panel. Your doctor thinks it's going to be the LDLC and the total cholesterol. LDLC is a calculated number. So it's really not telling you anything. It's not directly measured. And yet how many people take a pill to so-called lower that when they don't even know what it is because they're just guesstimating what it is based on a funky uh, equation called the Friedwald equation. Then total cholesterol, why are we looking at that and trying to get it below 200 when one of the numbers in there, HDL, you want to have higher? So you're getting penalized for having a higher cholesterol when in fact if you have high HDL, that's a good thing. So this triglyceride HDL ratio is what matters most. So how do you raise HDL cholesterol? The number one way you can do it, there's not a medication that will do it better than eating dietary fat. And so when you eat dietary fat, you get this good cholesterol to go up. And generally, it goes above 50 within the context of carbohydrate-restricted diet. It'll go above 50 and optimally above 70. And for all you ladies out there, it goes above 100 sometimes for you guys. Um, ladies, for some reason, have an easier time getting HDL to go up. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So now as far as the triglycerides go, again, there's no medication that will drop it better than cutting your carbohydrate intake. So if you stick with the real whole food-based carbohydrates like what we talk about in Real Food Keto, then your triglycerides will easily go below 100 and optimally will go below 70. I had a lady write me yesterday, my triglycerides are 38. Am I doing okay? I'm like, oh my gosh, you are doing incredible. And I said, I predict your HDL cholesterol is probably somewhere around 80 and it was 78. And so that ratio between those two numbers is what you're looking for. So take your triglycerides, divide it by your HDL, and that number should definitely be below three and optimally, optimally below um, one. And so this lady yesterday was like 0.3. I'm like, girl, you're killing me. <laughs> you're so healthy right now. And yet her total cholesterol was well over 200. Her LDL cholesterol was well over 100. The standards by which they put you on medications. 
I'm not telling people not to take a medication, but high cholesterol is not a disease that needs a pill. So can you explain what cholesterol does in the body and why these... You'll do it so much better, so uh, step in there. Uh, well, so if you're taking these statins, um, your cholesterol is actually something that's really needed in the body because it helps manage inflammation. So it's not, um, it's not a high-fat diet that causes this issue. It's a high-carbohydrate diet. And so uh, these people that have heart attacks that go into the hospital – and they um, get scans and they, the doctors see all this cholesterol in their, their arteries. Well, it's, it's not the, the cholesterol that's the problem. The cholesterol is there because you have the inflammation in the arteries from the high-carbohydrate diet. And so the cholesterol goes to that site to help deal with the inflammation. So the more inflammation you have the higher cholesterol you're going to have. And so Jimmy likes to put it this way. So you have your house is on fire and you can explain this better. I can't. It's, <laughs> I love this analogy. So uh, the, the analogy is imagine your neighbor's house is on fire. That's the inflammation. And then the firefighters come to put out the fire. That is the cholesterol. And so if you take a statin drug, to eliminate some of the firefighters and your neighbor's house gets on fire and there's no firefighter to come to the scene of the fire, what happens to your neighbor's house? It gets destroyed. Well, that's what happens in your arteries if inflammation is there and the cholesterol is not there to, to play Mighty Mouse, here I come to save the day, to put out the fire that's, that's going to you know consume you. And so people don't think about cholesterol in a positive manner, and we're trying to get people to start thinking about it in a positive manner because it does so many great things for your health, including brain health, including hormonal function and control. There's just so many good things about cholesterol that controversial statement of the day, I would much rather have high cholesterol than I would rather have low cholesterol every day of the week. Oh, mic drop. <laughs> I love that analogy. And like, I mean, again, for me, I'm just like with the hormones as well. You know, I think that's a huge reason why there's so many hormonal imbalances running around, especially in the population I work with. Um, you need cholesterol in order to produce those. So thank you for clarifying all that. It was a great explanation. Yeah, um, you did good. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I would hope so. You did write a whole book on it. <laughs> but, um... So the other kind of the last thing regarding macros, I would love for you to mention is, you know, you said, what did you say? There's no such thing as net carbs. Yeah, we don't we don't like net carbs because it's just not it, people can start to have carb creep and they allow more carbs in there. So we like to use total carbs because it gives you a better idea of where you're truly um, where you truly stand with your carb tolerance. Well, and especially if you know where it came from. So here's a little bit of the history of where net carbs was invented. So there was a uh, low carb diet book author named Dr. Michael Eads. He wrote a book called with his wife, uh, Mary Dan Eads, called Protein Power. Have you ever read that book, Christina? I haven't, but I've been wanting to. Yeah, so it's one of the kind of uh, seminal books in low carb that was out there with the Atkins diet and some of the other ones that were out there. Well, Dr. Eads, when he was writing the book, thought, you know what? Fiber has such a minimal impact on your blood sugar and some of the other cardiometabolic markers that we're going to give people more flexibility to eat more 
vegetables. So why don't we tell them that they can subtract the fiber from those vegetables and that will become their net effective carbs uh, so that they get more flexibility in eating more vegetables because there's certainly no downside to eating more vegetables. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's how it was presented. Well, guess what happened? The food companies found out about this and they said, ooh, ching let's tell people that they can have three grams of net effective carbs of this bread that we've made because we've taken away the, the, the whole grain fiber out of it. See what I'm going here? Mm-hmm. And then they also put in these things called sugar alcohols. Well, they don't count on the blood sugar either. So cha-ching, that's minus as well. And so you get this thing that has 27 grams of carbohydrate in it, total carbohydrate. But because of the math game, it's suddenly three grams net carbs Mm -hmm. and people get into trouble with that. And now if you want to count net carbs, that's fine. But I think in order to be intellectually honest about what your tolerance level is, which is one of the basics of a ketogenic diet, you kind of need to know where your carb tolerance is. You got to count total carbs. Otherwise, you're just playing games with yourself and you might be getting more than you bargained for. Yeah, the net carbs is a huge marketing scheme for sure um, with all these products, you know, but also it's like if you do the real food keto approach, you don't have to worry about that as much, right? (laughs) Exactly. Right, right. Because you won't be using that many products. Um, I'm curious, like since, I mean, both of you follow ketogenic lifestyle, do you um, notice any, like are there any main differences between the way the two of you do keto as a man and woman? Um, I, I think in the beginning, I was able to tolerate a few more carbohydrates in the form of sweet potatoes and things like that. But now, now that I have uh, (laughs) had a hysterectomy, now that I'm getting older, um, I'm not able to have those sweet potatoes anymore. So I'm, I'm pretty much right in line with the way Jimmy needs to eat. Well, and you eat a lot more vegetables than I do because you have a bit more of a tolerance level for that. I'd say my diet, Christina, is about 95% carnivore with mm-hmm. 5% vegetables and fermented foods and things like that. So um, you, you tend to like your salads a little more than I would. Yeah, I do. There are, there are days where I'll say, oh, please go get me a, a, a big salad. You know, I just want, I want the, the salad. So, and, and I seem to do okay with it. Yeah. So that would be the main difference is, is the vegetable intake. Okay. Are you guys, how are you feeling about the carnivore trend? Yeah, I think in general, if it gets people off the crap, <laughs> <laughs> then it might be a nice thing to do for a while to help them get off the crap. Because how simple is it to just throw a few ribeye steaks on the grill and done, you know, but I think the long term implications of that, I'm still a little bit dubious of because I'm concerned about the gut health, but I'm very open and, and willing to have people try it. I think it's a great modality. You definitely eat no carbohydrates. So uh, I think that's the biggest culprit in a lot of our health woes these days is all the just abundance of crappy garbage that's everywhere. So if they shift away from that and this is their transition into getting keto and getting healthy, then I'm all for it. Awesome. I think one more thing I wanted you two to clarify for the audience is, you know, we talked a bit about like, can you do keto if you don't have a gallbladder? What about um, is keto safe for type one diabetics? Absolutely. I believe that I believe that it is because um, we've seen and we have several friends that have type one. They do a ketogenic diet and it's very good at cutting down on their insulin. Of course, they're going to have to stay on their insulin because they can't produce it, but it greatly reduces their need for 
for insulin. And so absolutely, a ketogenic diet is a low inflammation diet. And so it can't be but in anything but good. Well, and it lowers their need to use exogenous sources of insulin. Um, yeah, there's a lady named Hannah Boethius that's a type 1 diabetic. Uh, do you know Hannah? Hannah's no, diabetes approach? I yeah, don't. so she's... She's a big-time uh, advocate for type 1s, but there's a bunch of them out there. And, of course, Dr. Richard Bernstein has been out there uh, as a as a type 1 diabetic for over almost 70 years now. He's been a type 1 diabetic and still surviving because he implemented a low-carbohydrate approach. So here's the only thing that you would need to be concerned with, and, and Jimmy has done a great job in some of his talks explaining this, that for type 1 diabetics, something called ketoacidosis is very possible. But this only happens, let's just say they eat a high-carbohydrate diet and they don't take their insulin. Well, they're they're probably at risk for developing ketoacidosis because, and Jimmy can do a better job of explaining it, I think, but uh, the, the ketoacidosis aspect is something that they need to be concerned about. But if they're doing a ketogenic diet, then their blood sugars are not going to be elevated um, and they're actually going to still be low. And so their insulin is going to be low. Can you explain it a little bit you better? Just, you just, just did. Okay. That, that's pretty good. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that the whole keto versus ketoacidosis topic is um, confusing to people, but that that helps clarify it a little bit. People need to understand they're not the same, the same thing. Yeah. Um, they're, they're totally different. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you guys so much for helping me bust some keto myths. I am obsessed with this book. I think everybody needs to get their hands on it, whether or not they are gonna follow a keto diet like there's just so much incredible health information in there and it really is like the nta in a book <laughs> um so i love it could you guys tell people where they can get this book and also where they can find more from you so we have a website for the book realfoodketo.com and they can go and order it there and then um what was the other question where rebooting we can your nutrition. yes uh so i have a rebooting your nutrition site where you can contact me and i will give you uh some information about my services and what all that entails and of course jimmy you can what's the website you didn't get rebootingyournutrition.com okay. sorry <laughs> sorry she's she's new to this kind of talking on the microphone thing i've been doing it for years so i know you're the and, og <laughs> that just means I'm old, Christina. So I'm at livinlavidalowcarb.com, or if you just Google Jimmy Moore, the first three pages is all my podcasts and books and everything I've done over the years. Amazing. Well, thank you guys again for joining me. It's been such a pleasure chatting. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Christina. I am so grateful that Jimmy and Christine could come on the podcast and drop some knowledge because there's a lot of good info in there. Hope you took notes. If you want to learn more from them, pick up their book, Real Food Keto. Head over to Amazon, add that into your cart, order it ASAP because that book is just bursting with nutrition content similar to what was covered in this podcast. And like I said, this book I really think is great whether or not you're interested in the ketogenic diet. It's great for seriously everybody. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you let Jamie and Christine know. Tell them I sent ya. Send them some love and make sure you leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps me out when you do that and share the podcast episode. If you are learning something, if you're enjoying it, share it on social media. I always really, really love when I see you guys do that. It helps to spread the word about my show 
and lets me know that you are enjoying the content. I would also love to have you in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. We talk about the episodes, get to know other listeners. It's a party in there. I hope you have a wonderful day. That'll be it for this episode, and I will talk to you again next time.